Hello and welcome to the USVS podcast. This is Susanne Stokmans. And Vaiva Dabravoskaite. And today we are talking with Dr. Jörg Desarek and Professor Tilo Kölbel about imaging technologies that may facilitate daily practice in vascular medicine by increasing the quality of vascular imaging with a significant reduction in radiation exposure to both patients and physicians. Dr. Jörg Desarek is the head of the vascular and endovascular surgery department at the Bonifatius Hospital in Lingen, Germany. Since his board certification for vascular surgery in 1999, his primary focus has been on CLI and complex surgical and endovascular aortic procedures. During the last few years, he has focused on implementing a dedicated endovascular education program into the national vascular surgery curriculum. This program mainly aims to reduce radiation using ultrasound and intravascular ultrasound, or IVAS. Hello and welcome, Dr. Tessarek. Hello, thank you for the invitation and welcome to you. Professor Tillekölbel is Professor of Vascular Surgery at the University Hospital of Hamburg, Germany. He trained as a general surgeon in Berlin and worked as a fellow and later staff member in vascular surgery and interventional radiology. His focus on complex aortic treatment has grown since 2004, when he started working in Malmö, Sweden. Nowadays, he's one of the leading physicians in Europe regarding endovascular aortic treatment. Professor Kjellberg is a reviewer for major North American, European and Asian vascular and interventional radiology journals and is an editorial board member of the Journal of Endovascular Therapy. Welcome, Professor Kjellberg. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to discuss with you today. Recently, the very first clinical practice guidelines on radiation safety were published by the European Society of Vascular Surgery. We recommend all our listeners to take a good look at it if you haven't done it already. The final chapter is dedicated to our future technologies to reduce radiation, precisely the subject we will focus on today. So without further delay, let's start. There has been increasing concern regarding radiation exposure. Endovascular operators are encouraged to raise awareness and promote safety measures. However, there needs to be more understanding of the long-term consequences. Ironically, physicians focus on patients' procedural safety and efficacy, disregarding their own. How has this changed during your career? Well, I started with vascular surgery in 1992, and then I started vascular surgical education in 1996, and at that time, radiation safety wasn't an issue at all. But meanwhile, we have dedicated training sessions, and it's crucial for our safety, for the patient's safety. In my department, training starts with radiation safety training. And is that a specific training program or a, or a particular course that they take? Uh, well, everybody has to make these courses, which is a necessary thing. And in our hospital, we have training sessions half a year, theoretically. And of course, uh, during the daily routine, it's always training. Be careful. Don't use radiation too aggressive. Use your collimation and so on. And we document all the radiation doses for patients, for staff members. Uh, we have this technique for individual measurements during the procedure. So it's part of the daily routine. What patients dose values for endovascular procedures should be recorded? ESVS guidelines recommend comparing them with the national diagnostic reference levels or DRLS. Is this common practice in your center as well? We document every 
patient where we use radiation independent from doing completely endovascular procedures or embolization or hybrid procedures. And the doctor's board in Hanover has the right to pick out patients to control the uh, level of the procedure. Whenever you cross the border given by the diagnosed or related levels, then you have to explain it in your operation report. So this is part of the radiation safety protocol, which is defined by the local law. And can you name five measures we can use daily to reduce radiation exposure? The ALARA principle, of course, as low as reasonable achievable. Don't use radiation when it's not necessary, which means pulling back a catheter does not need radiation. Step back when you make an angiography to reduce your individual exposure. Try to avoid contrast application for angiography whenever possible. Try to realize that oblique projections increase the radiation dose. And all this is documented in the protocol. So we have documentation from the beginning of the procedure until the end. If we talk about new technologies that may decrease radiation exposures, what are the available options? We have software solutions. So we implemented software solution by Philips into our system. We have the options to use a mobile C-arm, which reduces the radiation dose compared to a fixed C-arm. We have image fusion techniques, which means we can use CT scans to uh, match patient on the table with a CT scan. And of course, we can use ultrasound. We use ultrasound for puncture, even for retrograde puncture instead of angiographic guidance. So less angiography, no direct contact to the central beam. And we use IVUS for interventions, thoracic, abdominal, peripheral, which also decreases radiation dose significantly. Do you know if you compare yourself to other vascular surgeons from other centers or from other countries? We, we compared the radiation doses for patients and staff members before we implemented software solutions. And now with the IVUS, we know what is a dose area product of uh, angiographic guidance for EVA or TIVA, for example, compared to IVUS guidance with a single completion angiography and to IVUS guidance as a standalone solution. So we have a 90% reduction of radiation dose for patient and, of course, scattered radiation for the staff member. Now shifting gears to another topic of today, fiber optic real shape or simply force technology. Professor Gelber, can you tell us about force technology and how does it work? Force technology is a groundbreaking change in visualization of catheters and wires. It is a completely new way of displaying those devices on our monitors, as it is not X-ray based, but the wires and catheters have a interwoven laser fiber inside and light which travels through that laser fiber is reflected and by the patterns of the reflection of the, those light signals, um, the system reconstructs the shape of the fiber in the wire or in the catheter. The groundbreaking difference is that you get a three-dimensional image for every moment uh, of your procedure. So you can actually uh, reconstruct um, the uh, visualization, the, the display, in any way uh, you like, um, and thereby you get uh, much more information than you get by uh, traditional uh, X-ray based uh, visualization. As an interventionalist, I'm excited when we use these te this technology because it gives you so much more information than we had before. And it seems a little bit like the um, 
reduction of radiation dose is more like a side effect of that. And the background story is that X-ray is just not the best way of displaying our devices within the body. There's something better, and that seems to be laser light. This is a fairly new technology, so it was introduced in clinical practice in 2020. Uh, what is your clinical experience using it? So as the technology is still at early stages, we have applied the technology only in cases where we needed really some extra help with visualizing our devices. So we used it for complex thoracoabdominal endovascular repair. Um, and in this field, which does not represent a large part of most vascular surgical practices, we have collected experience in about 150 cases. So since 2020, this is probably 30, 40 cases per year. It's uh, So you can see it's not every week that we have used it. But this also has to do with the availability of the devices. I'm sure you are aware that uh, during COVID, many companies had issues with supply chain problems and so also the force devices were not available all the time. But the experience so far really supports the future use of this technology, as we could already show in our registry, that the X-ray um, that is generated by fluoroscopy during those procedures is about cut into half. So it's a 50% reduction of radiation. So to our knowledge, force needs specific setting in the angio suite. It does communicate only with Philip devices, so sometimes that's why there are some limitations of use of force technology or its implementation. Uh, what are the minimum requirements necessary to start using this tool? So far, force technology is only provided to very limited number of centers in Europe. So currently this is five in Europe and five centers in the US. But the company Philips works hard increasing that number of centers. And this depends very much on the specialized sales team that is needed. So in the beginning or for the first 20, 30 cases, everybody needs support by a company employee and technician. So it's not so easy for the company to increase the numbers. And it's only very selected centers that get access uh, to it. But from a technical side, the minimal requirements are not very difficult. So all modern Philips machines do allow use of force. We in Hamburg have a Philips machine, which actually is um, more than 10 years old. It has, it has been updated five years ago with the Clarity system. But I would assume that most Philips hybrid room machines have the technical requirements for using force. And um, as you already mentioned, there are significant benefits during force, uh, which is visualization. So we have this 3D imaging, and then we have radiation reduction. We have also mentioned a few factors which may limit. So if people do not use Philips device, that this is out of the question. Are there any other potential limitations? So the limitations um, are, of course, also financial as the system comes at a cost. And this is also a reason why this technology has first been used in complex repair, where you have a relatively large DRG reimbursement and it's easier to fit 
the device cost in, into that. Another limitation is that the, the uh, quality of materials is under constant improvement. Um, so uh, like the current hydrophilic guide wire, I can say did not really match the um, properties that, uh, that the current market leader in hydrophilic guide wires uh, offer. And uh, the uh, technical requirements for these uh, wires is, is more difficult because we have to fit a laser fiber into it. So if you just look at the, the guide wire performance, its performance is not as good as of the market leader product. So that is another limitation. However, the visualization um, benefits that you get from it are far beyond that because suddenly you can look at your device from from any side that you want to look at it and you get it um, displayed in a 3d animation and in color so maybe that's if, if we turn from the limitations to the benefits um, what i noticed is that the use of force very much changes the way also the team looks at the procedure because suddenly not only the operator um, is able to interpret the images um, because he has been working with the anatomy in his head for a long time with this 3d animation in combination with ct fusion technology like vessel navigator and suddenly all of the team including the anesthesiologist and the nurses are able to understand better what is actually happening during the procedure yeah, was my follow-up question was how was the learning curve to getting used to the 3D imaging because regardless of its benefits, even laparoscopical procedures, once they switched from 2D to 3D, there was a sort of an adjustment to kind of merge these images together. I believe the company has done that in a very good way and they have uh, introduced this not from the beginning with three-dimensional goggles like the modern video game uh, adjuncts that that many people use so they've made it very user friendly also for an older generation um, where just the two-dimensional image is three-dimensionally animated and they offer two projections at the same time but i believe that with the younger generation being used to to other ways of displaying three-dimensional uh, situations, uh, we may see in the future more use of completely different technologies like uh, like these Google lenses uh, kind of thing, where we get a real three-dimensional image displayed during the procedure. All right. Uh, as you already mentioned, so there are a couple of centers, five you told, um, working with force in Europe and uh, five more in the USA. And there are a few studies running uh, at the moment. Can you comment on the early state evidence at this point? We have a relatively limited number of publications out so far. So the largest probably is the data from our center in Hamburg, in which we presented the first 50 cases of falls in complex endovascular repair. Another study which is really interesting is a study that will be uh, published soon coming from Mark Schermerhorn's group in Boston uh, in which they compared a force experience with a propensity matched non-force experience from a period before so it's a historical comparison 
um, but it's propensity matched, so it will be well comparable. And what we've seen so far is that results of all these studies repeat the same learnings uh, or the same conclusions and also show that radiation can be reduced while there may be in future larger studies may even be a benefit in operation time being reduced by these procedures. Great. And uh, the clinical evidence on force technology focuses mainly on complex fenestrated or branched EVARs or arch procedures probably as well, where it showed in small populations that the median procedure time and dose area product were lower compared to the regular FIVARS beavers. Are there uh, other indications or areas where you think force could be used or should it be limited to complex endovascular procedures at this point? I'm I'm very much convinced it will not be limited to complex endovascular repair. So one reason for for our center is is the cost of the device itself. That's why we have um, have more problems would have more problems to integrate it into smaller procedures with smaller uh, DRGs. Um, but I I would expect that this is going to become a standard um, imaging technology, especially when when force technology can be integrated in the visualization of implants and devices it's itself. So this is something the company works on um, because so far we can also only see a wire and a catheter. And the future, of course, the goal will be that we also are able to visualize a stent or a balloon or another type of um, active device, which cannot be shown today. So we still rely on X-ray in the visualization, but we will gradually move towards using more and more force, probably with any kind of procedure. Yes, and in the study of Finnesgard and others recently published in the Journal of Vascular Surgery, cannulation of the target vessels using force could be completed entirely without fluoroscopy in 16% of all the cannulations. Also, a 37% procedure time reduction and a 56% radiation reduction was recorded in this paper. If surgeons get more experience with this technology, can we eventually fully replace fluoroscopy with force or other fusion imaging? And what is the radiation dose of standard fever procedure using DSA or force, just to have an idea? So, um, as, as, we, as we already discussed a little bit, we, we will not be able to fully um, replace X-ray in, in, the, in the near future because we need it still for visualization of implants and, and, and devices. But the percentage of force-guided uh, treatment and procedure will increase over time. And the success rate of target vessel cannulation, as shown in the Finisgard study, will also increase. I believe this gonna depend mostly on the company's capability of improving the properties of the devices. So when hopefully soon the uh, the wire has the same quality as the standard hydrophilic wire on the market, then there will be much higher success rate. So that the success rate was sometimes not so good uh, with a technology did not depend on the visualization, but more on the physical wire properties. And sometimes probably the complexity of the procedure itself, sometimes they just take more time than the others. 
Yes, and we've all been working with the with X-ray for 20, 25 years. So switching from uh, to a completely new imaging technology is not going to happen overnight. I expect this to be at least a 10 year year long process. Definitely. And regarding the radiation dose of the standard procedure of fever? So what's going to limit that is that so far the DSA uh, part of the dose area product cannot be influenced by force. So in a standard complex procedure, about half of the radiation is caused by DSA, half by fluoroscopy. Force technology can only impact the fluoroscopy part and reduce it to 50%. Um, the DSA part uh, will need a little bit longer time. So uh, what the company Philips is working on is using the force wire for visualization of flow into the target vessels. Once that works, maybe we can reduce the amount of DSA used during the procedures but that's uh, really hard to predict. We need to, to have uh, capability of looking into the future in order to answer that question. Let's move, move on to something we can answer. And uh, in the SVS guidelines, another mentioned technique to reduce radiation is electromagnetic tracking, which utilizes magnetic fields to precisely track the position and orientation of electromagnetic sensors placed on the catheters or guide wires. Do you also have experience using this technique and how does it differ from force technology? I, I have not, but this is a technology which is quite similar to force. It also is um, a technology which allows to visualize devices um, without the help of X-ray. The main difference is that while force technology visualizes the whole length of a wire or of a catheter, the electromagnetic tracking only allows the uh, visualization of certain points where the electromagnetic sensors are put on the wire and on the catheter. So what I've seen so far has been looking promising, but not, I should say, not as promising as the force technology. And I believe clinically the company has not come as long yet. Ideally, I think the, the electromagnetic tracking has some features that force is missing, which is that those um, sensors probably can just be put on implantables and can stay there so that it may be easier to visualize a, a stent or a stent graft. While the electromagnetic technology, which is mostly from the company, the, the company Centerline is the one that is most known for it with the IOPS technology, they miss like a complete displacement of the important parts of the of the wire so if i look at what i i'd like to see in the future i'd like to see those companies to merge and to use their technology within one device because they may complement each other uh, there is another aspect we slightly touched up on is a vessel navigator and i know you're a user of this one too uh, how does it help uh, for further reduction of radiation or in other clinical aspects? So Vessel Navigator is a, is a brand name of Philips as well. And it is one of the currently used fusion technologies that, to my knowledge, all of the major manufacturers of angiography units offer. So GE, Philips, Siemens, Toshiba, they all have their own CT fusion technology. Vessel Navigator is the Philips 
brand, which is a very well-developed fusion technology, which seems to be a little bit easier to use than the others maybe, but uh, I cannot really compare them. The only interesting different company that works with fusion technology is the company Sida, which is independent of a major manufacturer. And they use, as I remember the CEO explained once to me, like a facial recognition software, which recognizes the structure and the visualization of the vertebra of the specific patients in order to uh, create the overlay of the target vessels. The technology that this company offers is a bit different from what the big manufacturers offer. So that's very, very interesting field to follow and to see. Nothing is perfect yet, but we'll see much more of it in the future. In other words, to be continued on the topic, probably. And um, just to stretch up once more, what is the added value for using uh, force with Vessel Navigator together? The added value is that um, we need even less radiation in fluoroscopy as the as we can display the vessel anatomy on the screen while we catheterize it using the force technology. Thank you, Dr. Kulbel, for this extensive overview of force and vessel navigation. In the beginning of this podcast, Dr. Tesarek, you briefly mentioned IVUS. Could you explain the concept of intravascular ultrasound and its role in interventional procedures? Well, the concept is easy to explain. We use ultrasound, and this ultrasound probe is catheter-based, which means um, we have 5 French or 8.2 French catheters for the different vascular entities, peripheral, iliac, or aortic, also endovenous. This IVUS catheter, this ultrasound catheter, allows a circumferential high-resolution visualization of structures, which means we can see the vessel wall, we can see plug material, we can see stents, we can see contact between stents and wall, but also the different layers of the wall, which is due to the high resolution. So for dissection, it's perfect. And this with a beam range of up to 60 millimeter, which means for all endovascular procedures, the beam range is sufficient to make measurements, uh, to have a full 360 degree visualization of the vessel tube and the surrounding tissue, which means we can also separate between invasive cancer invading the vessel or a thrombus inside the vessel. And this technique is used just by advancing the catheter over a wire. That's for what we need still radiation, but only fluoroscopy. And then if you have placed the wire, you can make a slow pullback and you have a complete visualization of the whole vessel or the target area, whatever you want. As previously discussed, force can be used only with other Philips devices. Are there any limitations or challenges associated with IVIS in interventional procedures? The IVIS catheters can be used independent from any company material. Whatever 35 or, or 18 or 14 wire you have in your portfolio, you can use it for the catheters. We, we have 14 or 18 or 35 catheters. The challenge or the limitation is the operator's experience in interpreting images. If you have sufficient experience with a basic procedure, let it be EVA or let it be stenting of the iliac artery and you know your stent, then I think it's not a real challenge. The limitation for IVUS is we cannot see flow. 
in contrast to duplex ultrasound, where we can see the flow, the direction of the flow, we can measure flow velocities, and this is not possible for IVUS. With the IVUS catheters, we can visualize movement. So for detecting dissections and for measuring the depths of the dissection, it's perfect, but we cannot say if the flow is backward or forward. And that is the limitation. So we still need angiography to see the runoff vessels or to see the filling of aortic side branches after stenting or whatsoever. IFAS was mentioned in the recent ESVS clinical guidelines on venous diseases. There was no mention of IFAS in the ESVS radiation guidelines recently published. Would you comment on why IFAS was not mentioned? It's difficult. So I think it's not my term to comment on why something has not been mentioned. I was quite astonished because the guidelines, there were demands or claims saying that we need full informed consent of the patient. By German law, we have to explain the different alternatives for visualization or imaging. So we must mention IVIS to have full informed consent. Why a non-radiation-based imaging technique that has proven benefit in the coronaries, in the guideline for coronary intervention, in the peripheral arteries, in the guidelines for IVIS use for the peripherals, Why this is not mentioned in the radiation safety guidelines, I have no idea. Or maybe this is something we can also discuss in the session about this guideline on the annual meeting. Would you comment on procedures in which IVIS has proven particular effective in reducing radiation exposure? IVIS is an old technique, but for a long time, it wasn't the focus on radiation reduction. Since 2009, when Pierce and his colleagues published their data for IVIS in EVA and TIVA cases, we know there is a significant radiation reduction possible when using IVIS, just leaving out one or two angiographies. Radiation dose is dependent on the amount of high energy radiation, angiography, position of the C-arm, oblique projections, can have a three to fourfold increase of radiation dose compared to AP projections. And this is, of course, in the aortic and the iliac segment, where you have a lot of biological tissue. And there is a biggest benefit in terms of radiation reduction. We analyzed our IVIS data for PAD treatment. We matched angiographic guidance for aortoiliac stenosis compared to IVIS guidance, and we could see an 80% reduction in radiation dose no difference in radiation time and no difference in the procedural outcome. And it's the same for TIVA and EVA, where IVUS, meanwhile, is our uh, standard procedure. Only IVUS guidance, no angiography anymore. And once again, there is no difference in the outcome over three to four years follow-up. But we have a significant radiation reduction between 90 and 85 percent, depending on the experience of the operator. And as well as reducing radiation exposure, what are the additional benefits of introducing IVIS into your practice? So first, when we avoid the application of contrast, let it be carbon dioxide or urinated contrast, there are no contrast-associated side effects. For example, acute kidney injury or contrast-induced nephropathy. We still see that for some procedures, the amount of contrast goes up to 150 cc, which might impair the kidney function. So this can be taken aside as well as allergies. Of course, we have no bubbles when injection, when injecting. So going into the arch, leaving away angiography, which has a natural risk of 1.2% of embolic stroke just by injecting contrast media, we can reduce it. Uh, we, we have no data for IVUS-related 
stroke in, in these procedures so far, but leaving away the injection and the swirling flow in the supraortic branches, there might be a benefit too. I think there are still many things that we do not know, but it would be interesting to, to have a dive a little bit deeper into these issues. Does using IFAS change the workflow of the procedure and therefore make the process longer? Not at all. We also measured the procedure time. There is no difference in the procedural workflow. We place wires, we use the IVUS catheter without radiation. Having an angio or a pullback of the IVUS catheter, it's no difference. There is no need to change the workflow, the position of the operator, the nurse, everything remains the same. The IVUS can be either fully integrated into the fixed system or mobile C-arm system. Uh, we have this technique, but it can be also used separately and allows complete independent image processing for the operator. So everything is, after a certain learning curve of five cases, everything is very smooth and there is no change in procedure time. There is no change in procedural workflow uh, and procedural quality. You just mentioned that the learning curve is really low. Are there any training requirements for surgeons or interventionalists when adopting IVIS in their procedures? I think the, the first demand is you have to know the basic procedure. Let's go for EVA or TIVA. If you know your graft, if you know how to handle it, this is the main issue. IVIS is just another form of ultrasound, and we all know ultrasound from percutaneous diagnostics. So this is not the big difference. The interpretation of findings is not difficult. So I started with IVIS in 2006, mainly for treat acute dissections at that time to see whether it's a type A or type B dissection. The images or the clearness of the images you have allows very fast and easy interpretation. As I mentioned before, five cases for EVA, the team knows how to perform it. And uh, the operator knows how to interpret these images. And what does one need to use IVIS in the hybrid room? What are the costs involved with this technique? And can the IVIS catheter be connected to any standard ultrasound machine? Either you need the integrated IVIS in your mobile or fixed C-arm, this is possible, or you need a basic module that can be placed opposite to the operator where the catheter is connected to. It's just very slim machinery, 60 by 80 centimeters, so no problem in having it even in a small operating theater. The costs, I think we have no reimbursement for this IVIS, but uh, the costs for the catheter are fully covered by the reimbursement for the procedure. And the big advantage is that looking at a single patient that goes on hemodialysis after procedure. What are the costs for these patients? Another new technology is the robot navigation system, which may improve the steerability of endovascular devices from a remote control device so that the surgeon can be placed outside the radiation field entirely. Do you have any experience with robot navigation systems? And do you think there is a place for this technique in the future? My experience was very short in 2008 or nine when we tested a steerable catheter with a, a fixation X-ray table. The same catheter was used by Colin Bicknell in 2011 and 12 at the Imperial College to test the combination of steerable catheters and robotic technique to improve cannulation of supraortic branches or aortic side branches, and it worked quite well. I just wrote an article for the ESVB Congress book, and robotics was part of this article. And I'm, I'm quite sure that uh, within the next 10 years, we will have a lot of robotic systems implemented in the daily routine, especially for radiation-based examinations or treatment. And do you think there will be a time in the future when vascular interventions occur in a radiation-free zone? 
this is still future music. I hope that the next generation or the next generations will have radiation-free working areas or work spheres because intervention is the gold standard for the vast majority of uh, vascular segments meanwhile. And this uh, is probably a must to think about it and to try to achieve this goal. Thank you both for this fascinating discussion. Thank you again for taking the time to be with us today. We will be back soon with more ESVS podcasts. Please follow the ESVS socials to be informed about new releases. Thank you for listening and we will talk to you soon. Bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you very much.